Hey, Michal, welcome to Network Capital. We're kicking off this podcast in collaboration with Loophole Audio, and I'm really excited to host you. Um, I think you have a really interesting career so far, and uh, I'd love to de- delve deeper into it. So tell us who you are and uh, what are you doing today? So, um, firstly, thank you, Utkarsh, for having me on this podcast. Thank you to Network Capital um, and Loophole Audio. Um, just a brief introduction about who I am. So I, uh, my name is Michal. I graduated from law school last year. Um, from the Jindal Global Law School in Sonipat. And I currently run two startups. One is a creative agency called Plain Crazy, which I started when I was still in law school. And um, the other one is 405 Analytics, a more recent um, a more recent startup, which is a data analytics consultancy. Um, so it's been a very interesting year since I graduated law school. Um, and yeah, today, um, so today is a Sunday. Uh, I try keeping Sundays free um, and a little disconnected from work. Uh, more often than not, that's not the case. Today, it most definitely wasn't. Uh, but I'm having a really great time working on both the companies and I'm excited to talk more about them. Sure. So why two companies and how did you decide to be an entrepreneur? Um, so I'm just going to deal with those questions in the reverse order. So first, in terms of how I want, why I'm an entrepreneur, So I think that I sort of stumbled into. So um, during my first year of law school, I was trying to launch a startup with one of my friends from school, um, which was an artistic talent launcher. um, And we basically had a little social network where musicians, poets, painters, writers could upload their work and they could sell it. People could help crowdfund um, their projects. And also they could just get feedback from each other, share all sorts of art with each other. And we were trying to build a community around that. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, being in law school, my um, co-founder school friend being in a completely different continent, it never really was going very smoothly. And um, it was a difficult decision. But right before launch, we decided to pull the plug. Um, But, you know, I had well and truly caught the entrepreneurial bug by then. Um, In my second year of law school, um, a research center, the Jindal Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship opened on campus and I immediately got involved and the professor who ran the campus, um, the center, Jeremy Wade, who's a very close friend and one of my mentors right now, he gave me a lot of freedom in terms of experimenting and letting me do whatever I wanted. So when I was there, I started a couple of things. Um, one was the Startup Academy, which was a program on <clears throat> campus for student entrepreneurs um, just to helping them take go from idea to launch. Um, we ran that for a couple of years. I also started something called the Legal Entrepreneurship Cell with one of my seniors, um, which was um, a, research, a legal research division. It started off with eight of us, but then expanded to over 30 by the time I graduated, where we would work with startups, entrepreneurs, VCs, NGOs, anyone really who needed legal help and we would do it with professors on campus who were registered as lawyers or we would do pro bono legal research work for them. Um, Working with entrepreneurs, working with other students on their ideas, um, you know, really helped me learn a lot and delve more into what it really truly meant to be an entrepreneur and what what it really required. Um, I also did an internship at a small VC fund during my third year which again helped me understand from an investor's perspective what really makes a startup tick, what really works, what doesn't. And also from an entrepreneur's perspective, what is required, what would I really need if I ever wanted to get something funded, um, and what's in the market, what's not, what's working. So that really helped as well. 
Um, but having said that, Plain Crazy came about sort of randomly. Um, <clears throat> so during my fifth year, my final year of law school, which is when I started applying for MBAs as well, um, my co-founder, who was one of my flatmates on campus, used to do a lot of freelance design work. And I, since school, I've been very into coding. It's one of my biggest hobbies and now a big part of what I do at Plain Crazy. Um, and he, one of his clients wanted a website and he asked if we could work on it together. And so we did that and we said, oh, you know. Why did he ask you? Like, was he a law student as well? So, yeah, so we we lived together through, uh, through law school in right. the same flat. And he, used to, he was just very into design work, um, freelance, um, video, photography. And, and were you as well? No, I, I was never really into any of that. Um, it was just that, you know, I think towards my final year of law school, I sort of made a decision that regardless of whether I get into an MBA program or not, I want to do something. I want to be an entrepreneur. And my idea at that time was to do something in legal technology. So I started coding again. And he said, oh, if you're coding and you know how to code, why don't you make this website for one of my clients with me? And we got paid a very tiny amount at that time when we were in college. Do you know how much? Do you remember how much? It was um, 10,000 rupees for okay. an entire website, design and development. Um, but at that time, we we never looked at it something that could actually make us money. It was more, oh, we have fun doing this. And at that time, we were like, oh, this is a lot of money. Let's continue doing this. And so we set up a little agency called Plain Crazy. And um, yeah, that's how Plain Crazy really came about. We thought it would be a short-term thing. Um, that's what it really grew on from there. Now we're a team of nine people. Congratulations. Um, thank yeah. you. And um, So you mentioned business yeah. school. So when you started, it was fifth year law with this uh, website design. Uh, when did business school exactly creep into your mind? So... Um, Again, just coming back to my internship in the venture capital space, um, that's around the time, you know, I, it was, still is and one of my, one of my favorite internships that I've done. And when I decided that, oh, I might want to do something in the VC space or in private equity or in anything on the investment side, um, just my law degree isn't going to take me anywhere. And I said, you know, I don't want to have any options ruled out, especially when it's something I'm passionate about, just because I haven't. I don't have that degree. Um, so that's when I started thinking about MBAs. But the way I was looking at it was that four or five years in corporate law, if I'm lucky, I can switch over, try applying for an MBA or make a direct switch to VC or start something, in, you know, start working in a VC firm on the legal side and then see where it goes. Um, you know, completely by luck, I bumped into one of my juniors from school at a meeting. I was trying, I was going for a meeting and in the building I bumped into him. And he wanted to catch up. And Where was this? This was in Bombay. I was when I was back for some one of the summer breaks, um, right before my fifth year of law school started. I just happened to bump into him. I hadn't seen him in four or five years, and he said, "Oh, we should catch up." And we happened to follow up on that. And when I was talking to him and saying, "You know, um, this is what I'm interested in," he told me that, "Oh, you should check out this two plus two program that HBS has." And I had never heard about it before. And that's when I started doing research on it, and that's how I decided to apply to it. So what appealed uh, to you about the Harvard Business School 2 plus 2 program? So I think primarily there were two things. One is that it was, you know, as close to a situation, no risk situation as it could be, um, because you're still in university when you're applying. So if you don't get in, you still move on, you know, you graduate and you move on with your life. If you get in, it's great. So there's no real sort of loss. And you have two or three years take. to work and figure out. Correct. And which then, is what you're doing right correct. now. Correct. And I think the other thing that really appealed to me was the fact that it's not 
the program is not primarily aimed towards kids from a business background. So even if you look at the way their class incoming class is split up, I think close to 80% is either STEM or humanities, social sciences, law. And that gave me the belief that, okay, I'll have a chance over here as well. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I think um, just having that sort of flexibility once you get in as well, I found that to be, that's a great thing, you know. In It's been a year now since I've got in. And in this year, I've just grown so much. I've been able to take so many risks. I've been able to explore what I'm truly passionate about. Um, and that's, you know, something that you don't really get a chance to do once you've graduated from university. So that's definitely one of the biggest. So once points. you got in, you must have, you know, thanked your junior who yeah. serendipitously told you about this. Two plus no, 100%. Two percent. I did. Yeah. Um, thanked him and a lot of other people who helped me through the process. Yeah, yeah. But um, well, We're going to come to that. But, you know, here's an really important <clears throat> pointed many times uh, our weak ties the people we have not been in touch with but we we know they open our minds to you know to knowledge that knowledge and context that we don't know in fact you know this theory strength of weak networks that basically says that most of new jobs new ideas don't necessarily come from our cold, close friends they come from people who are outside our uh, you know close coterie of uh, friends and acquaintances and that happened to you with your uh, business school application process no definitely i completely agree with that and you know we can obviously talk about why that's the case for hours but you know just tying this into what network capital is doing the amount of work the amount of referrals the amount of people i've met through network capital um you know and these are people of course a lot of people who refer us um just today right now when i was on the way here i had been tagged in a comment by someone on Network Capital Premium for some work. And I've, you know, it's not someone I know well at all, but just the fact that, you know, there are people who believe in you, even if they haven't necessarily met you, or, you know, they could be in a different continent altogether. And, you know, I think Network Capital's done a great job of sort of helping connect people and just building that community and that, you know, whether it's a weak network, a strong network, it's just the strength of the community that's truly impressive. Yeah. No, I, I really uh, loved what you said because look, look at where we are right now. We're looking, we're in Loophole Audio's recording studio, and uh, this is essentially a friend of my brother's who I've gotten to know, and now we are collaborating to set up a podcast. And uh, his collaborator, Ishan's collaborator, is a British guy he went to music school with. So it's amazing how dots come together, and it's um, there's a role of serendipity, there's a role of uh, planning, of course, and hard work. Um, so tell me, we're in fifth year of law school. You decide that you apply to HBS 2 plus 2. It makes sense, uh, but it's obviously super competitive. Uh, and at the same time, you also got the entrepreneurial bug or rather you started thinking about it more seriously. So how did you think about the business school application process? What did you think you will write and uh, how did you plan the process? Um, Let's start so with the GMAT first. Correct. So, yeah, so, I mean, even before the GMAT, the first thing I had to do was figure out what it really even meant to apply, what's required, am I eligible, um, what, what are the things I need to get in place, what are the things I need to do, which other universities have a program like this. And um, <clears throat> I ended up applying, um, so, well, before the application, so I, um, I was still in law school. It was a particularly intense semester as well. I had taken five subjects. And um, I also had, um, so I'd gone on a semester abroad, the semester before, so I had to do some catch up. Where did you go? I was at the law school at Sciences Po in Paris. Awesome. Um, but I had to do some catch up in terms of courses that I had missed, mandatory courses. Um, and I was also a teaching assistant um, for, an, 
for course um, at law school. So it's pretty intense semester anyway. So, you know, I was just trying to figure out how do you manage that. And then we were also starting Plain Crazy and then also, you know, GMAT and essays and all of that. And <clears throat> one of the things um, I did was, of course, research, just a little bit of research on how exactly to go about the GMAT. Um, and I know a lot of people who've done extremely well in the GMAT, not really relied heavily upon any other resources than the books. And I'm sure that it's a great way to go about it as well. My only issue was that I was never particularly strong in maths and I hadn't touched um, a math book in the past five years. So I I just felt a little more comfortable um, relying on either someone or some sort of resource. And um, I happened to stumble upon, during my research, the Economist GMAT Tutor, which is what I ended up using. And I thought it was fantastic. And how much time did you give for your GMAT, like preparation time? So I started studying in mid-September and I ended up giving it in December mm -hmm. um, but I did um, you know I had my end semester I had five um, exams that I had to give before that as well and I had my regular university life going on we also had playing crazy so you know it was not three months or four months of pure focus it was it had a lot of other things going on as well but honestly I think the fact that I gave it with so much else going on made it easier in some ways and that's primarily because... Why so? Why, why, do you, why would you say that? You know, I, th I think about it now and if I had to give, suddenly go back to studying for GMAT while trying to handle the startup or if I had a job and I had to take like a few months off from the job and just focus on GMAT, I think that's a little tougher to do as opposed to when you're already in a studying mode. You know, I was studying anyway. I was studying for my exams. I was studying for my courses. In some ways, the GMAT was a nice distraction from having, you know, something else to study for. Right. And... Um, it is. It isn't a bad exam to study for. It's quite enjoyable in many yeah. ways. So, so you know, would you block was, time during the day to study for it or you would do it as and when? No, what I actually really liked about the Economist GMAT tutor was that flexibility. They allow you to pick anywhere between 15, starting at 15 minutes, you know, they'll just teach you maybe one concept and give you a few questions. So there would be times and I had the app on my phone or my iPad, I'd be, you know, ready to go to sleep. I'd get into bed with my iPad and for 15 minutes before going to sleep, I'd just try reading about the concepts, practicing some questions or going back to a few topics that I was not particularly good at and just doing 15 minutes of questions, um, you know, instead. And then I could do it whenever I was comfortable. So sometimes I would do it as a break. Sometimes I would do it right before going to sleep. Sometimes I do it first thing in the morning. So in that sense, I really enjoyed that flexibility and that, you know, if I had to go for classes, it would be different. You know, you have to do two hours. You have to do three hours. You have to do it on this day. With this, I had a lot more flexibility. Um, and, you know, I think as long as you're able to keep yourself motivated, it's a much nicer yeah. way to Regularity is the key. 100%. 100%. So you took the date, gave yourself a few months, a busy time in your in your life. And then how much did you end up getting? So I ended up with a 710 mm -hmm. um, with a 96, I think, percentile in English or 94 percentile in English and a 66 or 67 percentile in maths. Yeah, you mentioned um, that math wasn't your favorite subject. Correct. And, you know, um, I I know that the HBS uh, 2 plus 2 GMAT range is 670 to around 780, 790, 790, I think. Um, and I wasn't sure, you know, obviously um, there was some thought about maybe giving it again. But everyone I spoke to sort of told me that, oh, if you've crossed that 700, 710 threshold, it's worth spending more time working on your essays, working on the other aspects of the application because giving it again, maybe you'll go up by 20 points or 30 points. But that 710 versus 730 is not going to be a game changer as, well, as and when compared to your 
essays and the rest of the application. Right, right. Um, so you took the GMAT, you got a decent score, life's busy. How did you think about the essays? What are the essay questions like in 2 plus 2 and uh, what was your essay writing strategy? So, um, like I was, you know, so I ended up applying to three schools and it was two schools that I had planned on applying to, GSB uh, at Stanford for their version of the 2 plus 2 and HBS, of course. Um, and after I gave my GMAT, I got an email from Columbia. And I'm not sure if you know this, but I got an email from Columbia. And um, No, you haven't mentioned this before. So uh, it's an interesting story. It was, um, it, it, I'll come to it. But um, so basically Columbia emailed me and they told, they said that, look, we have a three-year JD MBA um, and we think you're a good fit for the program and we really want you to apply. Um, and if you're willing to apply, you don't have to give the LSAT for the law school um, exam as part of their JD MBA. Uh, program and we'll waive your application fee to both the law school and the business school. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, so you know, obviously, um, in some this was Columbia Business School wrote to you or the law school or both. That JD MBA I sort see. of um, program, and I, um, you know, JD MBA was not necessarily something I wanted to do, but three years, the fact that I have a law degree already, a JD MBA is also a great degree to have in the US if I plan to work there in the future. And um, the fact that they were waiving my <laughs> admissions fee, um, I mean, it was it just seemed like a sign of confidence and it was a little bit of a boost. So I decided to do it. The application was due very, very soon. Um, but, you know, I, I said, you know, why not? There's nothing to lose. Um, and more than anything, I thought that, okay, it'll give me a chance to start thinking about my essay and actually having, st- you know, proper thoughts down before I get to my HBS and GSB essays. So the way the application works is that you have to apply separately to the law school and the business school. And if you get into both, then you get through. And I spoke to a few people who had gone to Columbia and they were like, you know, oh, if they've written to you and they're waiving your application fee, they definitely have some sort of interest. I even spoke to someone um, from the admissions team when I was trying to figure out how to go about the application. And they said, um, oh, you know, the fact that we're waiving your application fee is a good sign. And, you know, obviously all of these things were a confidence booster. And then um, two weeks after I submitted the applications, the business school wrote me a rejection letter. Uh, I, I think it might have been less than two weeks. And that that um, that was a bit of a tough situation. You know, I was at one level, I was like, okay, these guys have asked me to apply. And obviously they do it for many reasons, including upping their... Um, application rate, numbers, numbers acceptance rate, whatever it may be. But, you know, I said, okay, if Columbia is rejecting me after asking me to apply and waiving my application fee, what chance do I have at GSB or HBS? And um, that was a particularly difficult day. I, I wasn't really This sure. was in December or Jan? This was in, uh, I think, Feb. Was Feb. I see. So very Feb close to the application submission yeah, deadlines. Closer to Feb or March and... Um, yeah, that was a tough one. That um, sort of gave me a bit of a hit. I wasn't completely sure on what I was doing when I graduated law school. You know, playing crazy was going, but it wasn't something we had ever thought about doing full time. Um, I hadn't really worked on my legal tech idea and I hadn't been applying to too many law firms either. So, you know, I was suddenly in a situation where, you know, I, I was quite convinced that I'm not going to get in anywhere um, and didn't know what I was doing after. But, you know, obviously, I was still in 
law school, which is another great part of these programs. It's not that you've taken time off from your job or really right. said, this is the year I have to get in. You're still right. in law school, so you have a lot of time. Uh, but, you know, of course, you move on. And, um, you know, next day itself, I got back to writing my essays. It also gave me, um, you know, that sort of understanding that um, maybe my essays are not good enough. Maybe I need to spend more time. Maybe I need to review them further. Mm-hmm. But at least I had a good starting point already. So what what um, was reflection like, like after the rejection letter? You know, it was a couple of things. One was what I was just saying in terms of what do I do next? Mm-hmm. The other thing was, again, with this essay where can my essay be better? Did I rush it? Did I not get points across properly? Do I need more people to read it? Um, should I have got a counselor or one of those? Um, or And even, you know, when I was, you know, obviously when I actually got more into how the JD MBA program works, they don't have a separate acceptance pool for that. You have to get into the business school with everyone else who's applying. And so which helped a bit because I knew, I mean, everyone else applying is four or five years of work ex, yeah. and I'm sitting in law school in my final year and trying to apply. So that helped, you know, understand a little bit. But, you know, obviously being realistic, there's obviously a lot of other things that lead to your rejection. You have to look at what you've done wrong and what could be better. So I went about doing my essays for GSB and about doing my essays for HBS. Yeah. Um, so let's dive deeper into that because, look, in, in final year, um, it's very difficult to figure out what will you do post MBA while you're applying for an MBA. I mean, at best, one can have an inkling. So what was your essay writing thought process like? So it's interesting, you know, because these schools usually give you very specific questions and force you. to. Do you remember the question? Way. I do. So GSB questions were, there were two, what motivates you and why? And then the second question was along the lines of why you want to be at Stanford or why you think GSP is a good fit for you. Um, and it was a combined word limit of 1100 or 11. Yeah, I think 1100. And they sort of recommend the first question is 700 and the next question is 400. But the what motivates you and why is a question that really helps you or helped me think, you know, do some self-reflection. What is motivating me to go to MBA? What mm-hmm. motivated me to come to law school? And mm-hmm. What's motivating me to be an entrepreneur? And where does all of these things sort of tie in together? Um, HBS has one question. Um, we And basically, it's along the lines of, we know your grades, we know about you from your referees, we know your CV, we know what you do in your free time, we know how, how many awards you might have won or whatever, how many sports you might play or how many um, social initiatives you might have been a part of. What else would you like us to know about you? Right. And I and there's no word limit, which makes it a little more difficult. But in many ways, you know, that question really gets you thinking because, mm-hmm. OK, you, they know all this about you. So you're not going to repeat this. What is it that you want to tell them? And, you know, it made me think, you know, if I was sitting with someone who I had one shot to sort of impress, what is it that I'd want them to know about me? I think a very interesting thing that someone, you know, a couple of people helped me realize as well is that it's not necessarily just trying to write an essay that would impress them, but it's something that truly talks about who you are um, and truly helps you, um, you know, truly helps them or anyone who reads the essay understand what, who Michelle really is. So that's how I sort of approach my essays. So I didn't think that, okay, I mean, to some extent, of course, you know, certain things might matter to Harvard and certain things might matter to Stanford, but you if the moment you start, according to me at least, the moment you start um, 
trying to spin things in a way that are not necessarily authentic or 100% true, they can identify it from a mile away. Right. So, you know, it's, I think it's important to have your personality shine through. I think it's important to have your, you know, a true degree of authenticity. Right. So, you know, if you've done something, that's great. If you've not done it, that's okay. You know, just write about what you've done. Because at the end of the day, and I know a lot of people talk about this as well, it's also important to understand where you fit in. And they are very, according to me, they can easily identify who would be a good fit for their school and who would not. And something that helped me realize this as well is, so I, uh, when I finished my, or when I was writing my essays for GSB, I sent it to one of my cousins who had gone to Stanford, not the MBA, just undergrad. And he read it and he said, you know, one thing I really appreciate from everyone who read my essays is that they were always 110% honest with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best thing anyone can ever ask for. But he immediately told me, he said, Michal, um, I don't think you're the perfect fit for Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, I, if I'm being honest, I think your profile would be a much better fit for HBS. And, you know, um, then you explain at, why? Um, I mean, there are, of course, things that, you know, in terms of leadership or other um, personality traits that HBS, you know, prioritizes more. And Stanford has more of a tech focus, even the MBA, you know, there's a huge tech focus around it, that community is more like that. And, you know, I was a law student coming out of um, India with no tech experience and no, except for one internship in VC, I'd done another nine or 10 internships, which were all legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my, and also my entrepreneurial, if you can call them that ventures at the research center were more community focused, like the legal entrepreneurship cell, the startup academy, the startup academy, which then expanded to working with Tibetan refugees um, on their entrepreneurial ventures as well. He, you know, he was of the opinion that these sort of ventures are not suited to maybe HBS or whatever other school it may be, as opposed to Stanford. Right. Um, and you know, then you're sort of in a situation where either you start changing things to make it seem more appealing to Stanford, right, or you know. You leave it the way it is and then hope that another school thinks you're a good fit for them. And I decided to leave it the way it was because at the end of the day, you know, you're not... You don't want to change yourself exactly. just to... You're not trying to... And more than anything, I truly believe that they can immediately tell, okay, you, you're you not being honest. You're not These being are authentic. buzzwords. AI has yeah. been thrown in. Yeah. yeah, you know, and if you're not doing it, you're not doing it. Yeah. And everyone who reads these essays, everyone who interviews you is very knowledgeable. Right. They're not going to... And I'll talk about a bit more about why this was a great decision uh, or why this is something that really needs to be focused on when I talk about the interview as well. So did you write both of these uh, uh, essays together or was Stanford first, Harvard later or or the other way around? Um, when I, before I actually got down to dealing with the individual questions of the schools, one thing I did um, was I opened up um, a completely blank document on my laptop and I just typed down everything that I think that I, that really wanted just my thoughts, you know, I had all of it down. I was just typing no word limit, no questions. Why do I want to go to business school? Why am I trying to be an entrepreneur? Why don't I want to do law? What is it that I would love to do? If I could do anything in the world, what would it be? What motivates me generally? Um, Are there learnings from my life or things from my past that have helped me get, get to this point? I think it was for Stanford um, uh, or maybe for one of the questions at Columbia. I can't remember now, but I wrote a complete essay at one point. Uh, I used to play a lot of sports growing up and, you know, squash, um, 
on a more higher level, but even football, cricket for school, anything, you know, I was just mm-hmm. a huge sports person. Um, and I wrote an entire essay about how sports made a difference in my life and how it got me here. And I thought it was excellent. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, this is a great essay. It's not similar to what other people write. Uh, it's very true to who I am. I made three or four people read it and not one person liked it. <laughs> and then I completely scrapped that. But, you know, just having all these different thoughts out there, different iterations really helps, you know, because writing 700 words about what motivates you, a thousand words about what you want someone to know about you isn't difficult. Yeah. You know, I could sit there in 20 minutes and have this thousand word essay down. Um, but does it truly reflect who you are? Are there, does it truly help uh, the way you're writing it? Does it come across to other people? I think those are the things, cutting it down to those word limits as well, staying within the limits is difficult. And actually, you know, if in 700 words, I might be able to write one point about me, but in 700 words, can I write all the points that really reflect who I am? while still writing enough about each of the points. I think those are the things that then get tougher and require a lot of working on. So, you know, whenever anyone asks, I always recommend you get all your thoughts out there. Which you did on that uh, yeah, sheet I of paper. That, you know, I, um, and what did you write? Like specifically, you wrote everything that motivated you towards an MBA or? Just pretty much anything and everything. Okay. I don't even, I'm sure I have that document somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it was just everything, everything I was thinking, everything that... I might want to write, might not want to write. Maybe I don't even know if I used a lot of what was there, but it just gets you thinking. Yeah. You know, even... um, And honestly, in college or in school, we don't actively think about these questions. These are so important questions. What do you want to do and why? Um, I wish the education system encouraged students to ask these questions every three months because, you know, you change your mind. And this one positive contribution of writing these essays beyond the obvious is that it really makes you reflect. And initially, when you're thinking about the macro questions, uh, I remember when I was writing mine, it was very similar. Even I opened a blank document and uh, started writing the real reasons why I want to apply. Um, Yeah, you know, I think more than anything, not only for the purpose of helping you write these essays, but like you're saying, it helps you figure it out for yourself. Yeah. I I don't think I really thought about why am I applying for this MBA? It just seemed like, okay, I might want to work in VC. MBA is a good degree to have. This course is there. I'm losing nothing from applying. Go for it. But why was I truly applying? How was it tying into what I want to do later in life? Very often, you know, people say, oh, I want to do an MBA. And then you probe a little further. You don't know why. And you know, I mean, I've come to the realization that that happens because uh, we're not encouraged for uh, second order thinking. Yeah. First order thinking is, yeah, I want to do it. Why? Because there's a good correlation between my goals and the means towards that goal. But second order thinking is like, you know what that document really enables you to do, to figure out what you're doing, why, what's motivating you. Um, so yeah, so what, what, once you finish that document, you had your initial thoughts out, how did you define those thoughts? I had a lot of help in mm-hmm. terms of that, and I'll get to that. Um, and just touching upon what we were discussing about just in terms of this empty document and it helping you in many ways, and second order thinking. Um, just later when we talk about the interview, I'll delve further into that. But talking about the essays, um, so I started writing the question, you know, writing the essays in terms of what the question really was. And then um, I didn't, I decided not to go with, and you know, just to give, get this chronologically correct, I did this before I wrote the Columbia essay as well. I see. So I had the context of my Columbia rejection of the Columbia essay 
um, there as well when I was writing my essays. For Some rejections change our lives, no? Oh, it was, uh, you know, it was a true <laughs> wake-up call in many ways. Not that I thought that, oh, I'm going to get in for sure. Yeah. I knew the chances of this is so statistically low that, you know, it's a very few lucky people who end up getting in, regardless of how deserving you may be. Right. Um, but, you know, of course, actually within, you know, so quickly in like 10, 12 days, them running out the rejection. I mean, it does hit you. Sure. It does. It does. Um, it does make you question things as well. But, you know, obviously it's important to keep going. But then um, I had my, and similar from my Columbia essay, I had my dad um, and my Masi, both of whom I heavily rely upon in life as well, but who's, who I just think write extremely well. Um, yeah. For a non-Indian listener, Masi's aunt. Yeah, sorry yes. about that. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, my neither of them had gone to, done an MBA, but my dad had gone to Cambridge for his law. My Masi had, uh, my aunt had studied at Stanford as well. Um, so, you know, I relied upon them as well. My mom read my essays all the time as well. Uh, but it was, um, you know, they helped me refine in many ways what I thought was very helpful about this and why I usually recommend that people don't let a counselor or anyone else for that matter dictate what goes into the essay is that they never tried changing the content in my essay. They let that be. It was just about putting it to, across in a better way. So it was never about, oh, you haven't written about this. Why don't you write that? Or, oh, you know, you haven't ticked the box on CSR or social initiatives. Why don't you add this volunteer experience you did? It was never any of that. This is what you want to say. Great. Right. Let's work on saying it in a better way. Yeah. Um, and everyone I sort of um, asked for help, my cousins, my uh, friends, close friends, everyone worked with me in that sort of way, you know, and one thing that I think is important, though, especially when you get a couple of people who know you really well involved, is that you need to know when to take the advice and when not to. Right. So you don't want it to be maybe five, six, seven people read my essays before I submitted them. But I didn't always listen to what they had to say. I think it's important to know two things. One is everyone will have feedback and, you know, all of it is very often constructive and very pertinent but do you want to get so many perspectives into the to the point where you're just having you know your essay seems disconnected because one person might feel one way about a certain paragraph and another person might feel another way about a diff different paragraph and then you lose your own writing style or your own sort of mm -hmm. personality so you know i think it's important in terms of that to know okay this is good feedback you know this is great feedback but it it's going to alter the flow of my essay or it's going to alter who I really am mm -hmm. and what I'm trying to portray. So let it be. Got I'm it. not going to implement that. Or even just in terms of um, just getting too many deferring opinions and then losing sight of the yeah. entire essay. But um, that's pretty much how I went about my essay. It was, Here's a challenge yeah. uh, just sticking out because people think that just putting in buzzwords or putting in stuff that the university might like is the right way. In, in fact, almost always it backfires. No, 100%. I truly what happens that. is that people try and just make a mix of all the good words or good things. And then the essay looks like somebody else's essay. As yesterday, Abhil Asha was talking about, it looks like a caricature, rather Correct. the real story of a person. And I think that way, one should uh, one should truly rely on one's own story. Because that's the what the school's interested in. And I really like the fact that you didn't change your story to suit the school. 
um editing it slightly or tailoring it or speaking that language is different but changing your story i think that's a fundamentally disingenuous way i would say no correct and you know don't get me wrong you should tailor your language yeah. in a certain way or you know maybe something that i had done might not be relevant to stanford but might be relevant to harvard so put it in but yeah i and you know i think this is a perfect sort of uh, gateway to the interview because um you know at the interview how did you really feel pro- but you know once you submitted your essays uh, it is hard work i mean for anyone thinking about an mba just to get those 700 words right you can obviously write something but to yeah. make it to the level that i did you feel that this is my best shot it takes many many iterations yeah you know and another thing that's difficult is that by the end of it you've read the essays so many times yeah. you've worked on maybe 10 15 i don't know how many of iterations however small or big they may be and then at the end you you sort of lose you know you know, lose sight of is this my best work right. i've worked on it so much i've read it so much mm-hmm. is getting better i don't know so you know at the end i had a few people read it um not so much for changing feed or you know in terms of direct feedback but more just in terms about of course proofreading but then also did this truly tell you who i am yeah um because you know it's easy for you and whoever else is helping you from the beginning to lose sight about where the essay started and where it's ended sure and what whether it is as good as you know you might believe so you know that's important um Yeah, I call this true. essay fatigue. Yeah. yeah, for people who really do 10 yeah. 15 iterations as it takes from the first to the last draft. I mean by the end of it like you really you really reach a point where you don't want to do it anymore and that's yeah happens and, o- and you know that's not just an essays we see it when we're working on you know on our website for a client if I'm working if we're working on a logo for a client you've done so many iterations so many changes you sort to you begin to doubt yourself is this good right. you know, i've seen it so much yeah. i don't know if it's as good as i thought it was in the beginning is this trying to portray what it is yeah so it's important to not let get carried away with those thoughts and have someone who's impartial and who hasn't really read your essay for read it yeah um as well but then you know of course you submit it and um and then it's you know yeah. it's out of your hands and yeah, you know yeah. more often than not not only will i mean i felt quite relieved but then by the end of it you feel quite happy with the yeah. work you've put in I and mean, when you've given it your it. best that you the outcome doesn't worry you too much because Correct. you feel that you know whatever happens i think this was my best shot um so yeah so when you submitted after how many days did you hear back from the schools i think within a few you know stanford um they don't necessarily call you in for an interview for your admissions but chances are they haven't called you in you're not going to get in right but i hadn't heard back for them um in in a, i think 3 weeks itself i heard back from hbs calling me in for an interview and how um, many people get called for an interview usually so i think at the open house they said so when i was yeah so i think 1400 odd people had applied and around mm-hmm. 200 get called in to interview wow so one in seven correct and then your chances are one in two because around 100 people get in so one in 14 is the real probability yeah yeah so <clears throat> and of course that varies from year to year these programs getting more and more competitive yeah competitive yeah. as well so what was the interview like so um, so stanford didn't work out but hbs you were still in the running for correct. the 2 plus 2 program correct so yeah so you got the interview call from was stanford it exciting was it yeah, uh, i was yeah. thrilled you know it's obviously um mm. whether you where were you when you read the interview call so i was actually on a trip with a couple of my friends um and we i i just gone at that time i was still using um 
as a second phone, I was using a BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. I remember opening my email and like, it was like, oh, congratulations, you've been called into interview and I immediately called my parents. There's obviously a lot of excitement around yeah. that as well because, um, you know, it means they saw something in you. And mm-hmm. what they later told us after the interviews was that according to them, everyone who interviews is qualified enough on paper to be admitted to HBS. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can only take in 100 kids. So you... It, the interview stage for them is not about who can we take in, it's about who can we leave out. Right, right. So it's more of an elimination process. Sure. Which, you know, I'm glad they told me after the interview because <laughs> that's very intimidating. It is really. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, so obviously there was a lot of excitement. They hadn't mentioned anything about a Skype interview and, you know, I wasn't sure if it was clashing with my exams. But as luck would have it, you know, it, it was in my study period right before my exams and I only had two exams to give. Um, and this so, was the final semester of law this school. This was my final semester of law school, correct. And, you know, I spoke to my parents, I spoke to whoever else, and everyone said, you know, if, you know, it's a huge opportunity, if you can fly out there and do it, go for it. Right. And, you know, I... Did you have a US visa that time? Yeah. So travel, uh, in that sense, wasn't a problem. The dates mm. matched up as well. Right. Um, so you decided <laughs> to fly. And um, I spoke to them and, you know, they didn't have the date available that would have been most convenient for me in terms of reaching there after my last day of university and still coming back in time for my exams right so they were very accommodating they you know gave me a slot that fit in well with my schedule um and you know i also one interesting thing is that at hbs it's not just the interview within 24 hours of the interview you need to write a reflection Mm mm-hmm um, and that reflection, what people told me is going to be a lot harder if you're doing the interview on Skype mm-hmm. and also on Skype, there are things to worry about in terms of internet in Sony, but for one, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, <laughs> as uh, much of a cult issue, it's become a jindal is, you know, one of the ma- only major true complaints that students have is, oh, the internet's really slow. <laughs> uh, and I think that's only going to get worse as data speeds get quicker and quicker, but no, on a serious note, you know, I thought if I'm getting this opportunity, could be life altering in many ways. Sure. So you need to take your best shot. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, lucky enough for it all to fall in place. So help me understand, so where was the open house? Open house was in Boston or somewhere else? So the way they structured it was that they had a few um, events and like you could meet a few other students that were there. I didn't actually end up going for too many of those because I was also pretty nervous today for my interview and like jet lagged and whatever else it may be. Um, but after the interview, they had all 50 children who were there that day. I'm sorry, all 100 children, actually, who were there that day, sit in a room, they spoke to us, they, you know, congratulated everyone for making it to the stage, explained a few things for us, told us when we could expect the results, what it really meant, what it meant for kids who don't get in, um, whether you could reapply. Can you reapply? They said you should, if you've made it to the interview stage, chances are pretty good that, you know, maybe in a few years from now you can get in. And I don't know if it's completely true or not, but the way I look at it is that if they've already seen you before, read your essays, found you worthy enough to interview, if you apply, say, three years later, the amount of career progression and pers- personal growth that you'd be able to show, would be I high. think would be yeah. a great boost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they said you can definitely reapply. Uh, I know some schools don't let you. So mm-hmm. that's one good thing about HBS. And yeah, so that was after the interview. Um, so tell me the about the interview process. Yeah, so they... Um, I had actually been fortunate enough to meet a professor at one of these events the day before the interview, and he was very helpful. He helped prepare me a little bit. Um, but the interview itself, you know... They prepared tried. you how? Like, what did he say? Which is generally, he, I mean, he didn't um, 
he was just talking to me very casually understanding who I am what I do but I think a lot of the questions that he um, asked me and when I was talking to him about it I said okay maybe I haven't thought about this as much you know very often when you're when the interview is about you and it's just about what you've done you feel confident enough that you know I know everything about myself but very often you might not find it as easy to actually say or explain to someone who doesn't understand the context mm-hmm. while still keeping it crisp enough that you know you don't take up too much time rambling yeah so i think that helped um the day before my interview so the 2 plus 2 interview differs in some way than a regular mba interview just because you haven't had any work experience so most of the questions almost all the questions are about your resume about your cv what you've done in university and but so the interesting on. thing about you is that you had 10 internships over 5 years correct uh, i've done yeah 11 internships 11 in 5 internships, years but so. that you know that's something i need to thank jindal for it was mm. mandatory mm-hmm. every summer and every winter you need to do an internship and you need to do an internship got it um, and i think that was great you know because compared to other children from the us or wherever else who might not have had any work experience so one internship a year maybe three i had all these internships work experience and i was able to truly reflect on what each of these internships meant to me and how i ended up where i was um but yeah you know they i i did spend the day before my interview watching random youtube videos and going through many articles about what they could ask you mm-hmm. in a regular hvs interview i wrote down in a notebook which i still have a couple <laughs> of lines um and i wrote down every question and more than anything you know not not one question that i wrote down or thought about was asked not a single one but it just helped me think about a lot of things yeah. you know it just helps you most questions were about your resume yeah most they had a copy of my resume and a copy of my essay in front of them mm-hmm. and um they just asked me things from there do you remember but, something that would be of interest to prospective applicants or advice for the interview yeah so you know they set up the interview in a very intimidating way you reach the interview then other seven eight kids who are going to be interviewing at the same time as you in separate rooms when it's your slot they take all of you um you know to the interview floor where you're all sitting together obviously everyone's extremely nervous um and one by one interviewers come in and say call out your name and take you in so I was one of the last few to be called I I feel bad for whoever was called last you know it's obviously very intimidating but um once you're in the room they make you relatively comfortable it's um usually one person with you there was um there were two people in my interview room but only one person was asking question one person was taking notes which is also a little intimidating but you know of course once you get into it you don't really think about all of this right um and it's exactly half now they i finished a sentence but i was still in the middle of a question when they cut me off middle of an answer so oh wow so they're really strict they're about they're strict about the half now thing so it needs um, to be 30 minutes flat no matter correct, what correct which is another reason you know i tried getting out there as opposed to doing it on skype because there's a lot that they can tell about you from body language from the way you carry yourself from the way you dress which might not come across on Skype according mm-hmm. to me um not to say that you know people on Skype Abhilasha was saying that she did her interview over yeah. Skype and she got in as well so yeah, you know yeah. it's not necessarily doesn't mean anything i just felt a little more comfortable yeah, being yeah. there um but yeah so you know once they they asked me a question um directly related to my work at the research center which they tied into my startup academy program mm-hmm. which they tied into the work with the tibetan entrepreneurs and then they further probed and try try to understand who I had worked with what sort of work I'd done right. so you know this ties into what we were talking about earlier in terms of authenticity mm-hmm. you know i could have been a very small part of this program and then written oh i've participated in this program yeah 
if they had asked me if that was the case and they'd asked me level two or level three question about that, I wouldn't have known anything. Yeah, or your answer would just not be convincing. Correct. And, you know, the moment you do that, it immediately, I think you're out. Yeah. So it's important that, you know, whatever you've done, you've actually truly done. Because, well, you know, everyone who's given this interview says that, you know, they, they go three levels deep into the question. They might start with something, but then they'll probe further and then they'll probe further before moving to a separate topic. Got it. That yeah. way they know, they, they're 100% sure they've given, taken enough interviews to know whether you're mm-hmm. being authentic or whether yeah. you're yeah. lying to them. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's it's truly important to just be authentic about Got what it. you've done. Got it. But yeah, you know, once you get into the interview, it's like any other conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't, you f- begin to forget about any. It's the anticipation that's more nerve-wracking. Once you're in the conversation, once it starts flowing... Especially if you've done the work, so it flows out. Yeah, you know, even more than that, I think, just generally, like, even this, you know, conversation where, you know, it's very casual, we're being able to chat, you don't really think about anything else. Um, And it's the same with them, because no questions are really throwing you off track. They don't even try asking questions to throw you off course. It's just, at least for the 2 plus 2, it's just, why did you do this? Tell me about this internship. How did it... What did it prepare you for? What did you really learn from it? So these are things that, you know, you know, but it's useful to think about as well before. So I would yeah. say, you know, go through your resume, go through your essay, think about, okay, I did this internship. Did it, what did it really mean? You know, usually we yeah. do internships, but we don't tend to really think about right. much. We don't go into deep reflection about those internships. You know, you're done with it, you're done with it. Um, so it's helpful to know is this the internship that led me to where I am today? Did this internship help me make career choices? And, you know, whatever else it may be. And I think it's so important to know the power of reflection, especially it seems like HBS. Uh, in fact, most top business schools uh, pay an inordinate weightage to the power of reflection because, you know, you in the moment, sometimes it isn't clear what you learned. You don't have the objectivity to know, to know what worked, what didn't. Uh, I think probably that's why they ask people to write reflections. Correct. Probably. Uh, uh, you know, it's within 24 hours you need to write the reflection. That day I got done with my interview. I It was um, evening, afternoon? It was mo- afternoon. It was around, I think, 12.30 was my slot, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly. But then you hang around a bit. You talk to other kids who applied. You attend this little open house of mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was done. I had a couple of friends from school in Boston. How long is the open hour? No, but was, it was very short. It was, I, I don't remember. It was no half an hour. Half an hour. Well, okay. No, more than half an yeah. hour. They just were telling us, you know, this is the date and time your uh, your results will be out. You know, just basic congratulations mm-hmm. for getting to the stage. If you get in, great. If you don't get in, it's still great. Mm-hmm. Um, just general information about yeah. the program, things like that. Um, so you have 24 hours to write this reflection. I took the rest of the day off. I... Um, Went and had dinner with a couple of friends from school. Just hung out with them. Um, and then once I got back to where I was staying, I started to think about reflection. I took a little bit of nap. I think around 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. I woke up. And that's when I started writing my reflection. Because I think that's important, you know. Right after you've given your interview, you're not, like you were saying, it's yeah. the same, you're, you don't necessarily, have, you're not completely objective. You might not, uh, here you only have 24 hours. But, you know, I think as much as you can push to really, you know, First, let it yourself. settle. Let it yeah, settle. Let it settle. Yeah. You know, distance yourself completely. That's why I did. I went and had dinner with friends. Didn't talk about it at all. Just hung out. And then you know, you come back, and then you know, you're thinking about it. I, thanks for time difference. My dad was slow awake. I spoke to him about it. Um, I don't think I spoke to anyone else about it. But you know, it's just 
what did you truly feel about the interview mm-hmm. and you know again they were there in the room with you <laughs> so they know what it was um so you can't make up anything you need to be completely right. honest and right. you know it gives you an opportunity um to fill in anything you feel like you may have missed maybe one of the answers i gave or you anyone who gives you might not feel like you did justice to it so it's a great tool in terms of you know rectifying these small errors you know maybe you misunderstood a question and then 5 6 hours later you're like oh maybe this isn't what they were asking yeah so in terms of that it's a very good opportunity to rectify it and truly just how long was your reflection I don't remember to be completely honest. I think it was one page, two pages. Oh yeah, one, I think it was one page. One I page. Think yeah. They sort of prescribe a word limit. Got it. Got it. Left it. So, um, when did after the interview? What happened? When did you hear back from HBS? So I after the interview, I um, went across. You know, I spent um, the next day. I immediately left for New York. I have some family there, and I had to study for my exams. I didn't want to make it a two or three day trip where I was too tired. So I was there for five or six days in the US. during my study period and i ended up flying in to delhi the day before my um first exam mm-hmm. so I, i you know i spent some i you know obviously i was also in the middle of exam mode it was my final law school exams and it all matters for your gpa and you know again at that time you don't truly you don't think oh what if i get in you can't it's too small a statistical um possibility so thought immediately went back to okay it's exams and then figured out to get back to next. life correct the so, business know, was going on playing yeah, crazy yeah crazy was going on that was around the time I was beginning to pick up a bit mm-hmm. as well we had our first digital marketing client um an area we knew nothing about mm-hmm. um but were learning very quickly and you know so I went back to studying for my regular exams um study for exams i went back to college it's you've spent 5 years over there you spent 5 years with these friends i just you know exams got done i spent a few days extra on campus just having fun you know you don't know when you're going to see a lot of friends again um so did that and then you know you i got back to mommy they told us on i think may 30th at 9:30 p.m. for me india so 12 p.m. boston time the results would be out so that day uh, obviously it's all day <laughs> Um, and at exactly nine thirty, it came out. I opened it. You got email. an email. Um, yeah, an email. But I already had the the portal open, waiting for them. You know, ref- at nine thirty, exactly, I refreshed, and it was. You know, they were like, "Oh, we have an update for you." I clicked on it, and um, you know, it was uh, it was great news. So, um, you know, obviously, it's not. You know, it's something I had envisioned or imagined many times before. We never think it's truly going to happen. So, you know. it was um you know that was great but then again you know it's business school is not really no one really says no, no, oh, no, i want to get into don't move on okay. so how did you feel how did you celebrate <laughs> yeah so um you know i uh, i remember i was on a dining table i read it in university no, no i was back home okay and you know um i opened it and my mom was passing by that time and i had this big smile on my face and she immediately realized and then my dad was i think in delhi on his way back so right before he took off i quickly called him told him told all my friends who had helped me whoever else i needed to and then i went down with my day i had made a plan to go play cricket with some friends and that's where i went after it and you know obviously you're on a bit of a high for the next few days right. something you've dreamt about you've worked towards um it's surreal right it like is, you're just like is, out of know. college and you know like yeah think- you know and whatever it may be and you know um in many ways it changes your life right you know and you know it um but then having said that it's business school is a means to an end sure 
and life moves on you know mm-hmm. you can't you're not getting through life saying oh i got into hbs and mm-hmm. that's taking you nowhere yeah um so i think know, that's a really think, important point to remember that uh, a master's degree a job or whatever else you might do an mba is usually a means to an end correct and the mba application process in a way or any application process uh done well helps you <coughs> create one hypothesis for a future 100% whether i had gotten in or not just writing your plan essays. was to go for you know plain crazy gig regardless yeah by then you know plain crazy had begin to take off a bit and you know we thought we'd give it a few months so my co-founder uh, sayam he's from chandigarh he's now moved to mumbai but at that time he had gone back to chandigarh mm-hmm. so we were working remotely we were getting our first uh, partner and first employee and who's now so this was in 2018 yeah last year yeah. 2018 may june um and you know graduation at official graduation ceremony was in august so until you really do that you don't yeah i remember like, we know, met yeah, the day so you, you were graduating yeah you don't feel like okay i i'm done completely mm-hmm. you know there's still that big step left so you know like i was saying right for the first few days after getting in you know, you're thinking about a lot you know this everyone sort of congratulating you you're really happy but that's it it's four or five days and then you move on with yeah. your life you so know? you moved on to it's plain crazy it was immediately you know this is a field i know nothing about um to many in many ways i've never studied design i've never studied branding i've never studied marketing i've never studied officially properly studied web development or coding um done a few coding classes in school many years ago a few coding i done one summer camp in my ninth grade eighth mm-hmm. grade mm-hmm. but you know i never really studied it so it was you know now i have two years to really and you have to get their approval on where you're working and i think they were not i don't know if they were 100% convinced about playing crazy but the fact that by the time i was having that discussion with them i already had been doing this for a few months had a few proper clients that helps um <clears throat> and you know um at that time so i mean i didn't really know what playing crazy was and where it was going so it was a lot of we did a rebrand we got our first partner on board we um tried figuring out what it really meant to us and what we were trying to do with it you know and in many ways um that's you're trying to prove to yourself okay i can build a company that truly means something but also that you know i'm um it this is something that i'm able to give 100 110% to you don't want to do something that's half hearted right so you know we decided to take a few months and advance so you know um understanding enough to give us those few months to work on it and you know i'm always grateful to sayam at that point you know i had gone to hbs i do have that backup at that point he um you know was staying in chandigarh he's moved to bombay um earlier this year in jan but he was like spending more time in bombay than in chandigarh by august september october mm-hmm. um we there were three of us on the team and by like july august none of us had started anything we were doing yeah so you know we were all taking a big shot but um yeah so very quickly life moved into that and it's been you know truly rewarding process but you know it is stressful there are days you're working 14 16 hour days you can never be truly off with your own company yeah of course and you know um on the tougher days you you do doubt oh, you know is it worth it does it mm-hmm. what is all of this really add up to but you know i don't think there's anything as fulfilling as running your own company and yeah. something that you're truly proud of yeah uh and you know that's the journey was still on there's mm-hmm. a long way to go before it's truly something that we can be very right. proud of but uh, it's a great journey to be on you know i i, I appreciate the fact that you, even today both your co-founder you and your team invest a decent amount of time learning 
at least I know about you. So what is your productivity regimen like? What's the secret sauce? Oh, more specifically, what's the daily routine look like for you? So, you know, um, even in terms before we get to the daily routine or, you know, there's definitely no secret sauce <laughs> that I can show you. Uh, and I think, you know, even if there is one, we're not privy to it yet. I think we have a long way to go before we can even um, think about, you know, success in a larger scheme of things. But, you know, one thing in terms of learning new things, and I think there are two reasons um, that I'm really keen on this for everyone on the team. One is that, you know, okay, now, uh, you know, our new employees, our new colleagues, partners are working in something that they've studied. So, you know, a designer might be from design school, our marketing people might have a degree in marketing. My data scientist has a degree in data science. But um, Sayam and I never had those degrees when we started. Yeah, you both are lawyers. Yeah, we're both lawyers. We both sort of were self-taught in whatever we do. And, you know, I think, you know, many people look at that as a disadvantage. We look at it as a huge advantage because it pushes us. We never get complacent. You know, we always know that there are kids who've spent four years doing what we're trying to do without any formal education. You know, sorry, studied for four years in a proper or three years or how many of years it may be. So, you know, we never get allow ourselves to get complacent. It's always what more could we be doing? What don't we know? How much more can we improve at? And, you know, the world is changing, according to me, in many ways. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about AI and, you know, oh, is my job going to get taken away? I mean, it's not going to get taken away if you're constantly reskilling and upskilling and, you know, finding ways to be valuable as well. And I think that's really important. You know, there are already programs, AI programs that will make a logo, pretty good logos as well. Yeah. Um, and those are only going to get better. But then... What are other ways that you can be useful that AI can't? You know, of course, in the service industry, there's a huge human element. So that's one thing. But just generally, you know, like, I think the fact that we hadn't formally had any formal education in it, we just keep doing online courses. We So recently, we've been working on entering the AR, VR space. For the, so that's um, augmented reality yeah. and virtual reality. So, you know, it was, again, we didn't know the first thing about it. But then we didn't know the first thing about designer marketing when we started either. So that's never something that push, puts us off. I, I haven't told you this, but your digital marketing class is one of the most popular ones uh, on <laughs> premium. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, you know, I think it's sort of, I recommend uh, digital marketing, sort of horizontal, right? That if you want to understand it, go, yeah, that's that. the one. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Um, you know, and I, we definitely want to do a new one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Since and now we've on, done that, oh, there's so much more learning sure. that's come in. But that's a great thing. Right? You're constantly learning. You're constantly learning more. And one of the great, you know, honestly, with my team, one thing that we've prioritized and more than anything, even with Sayam, which is what I tell everyone about playing crazy and our team is that, you know, we're always pushing each other to do more and learn more and get better. And that's something I think, you know, regardless of whatever you're doing is so important. Yeah. You know, it's, I might, there was one thing that, you know, it there's this like, very basic concept in um, coding, but like an animation that sort of triggers as you scroll through a website that I had no idea how to do. And then one day, Sayam was working on the design for a website we were doing, and he said, this website's going to look a lot better if you figure out how to do this. And I was like, you know, but, you know, we're on a deadline, I don't know how to do this. And he was like, no, you're going to figure out how to do this. And, you know, he pushed me, and I did figure out how to do it eventually. But just having someone who's like, you know, know, I'm never allowed to get complacent. It's not that, you know, okay, now we've launched an analytics startup. You've done your work over there. You're, you know, obviously, it's a continuous journey. You're learning more. You're doing more. But what's next? 
And that's, you know, one of our colleagues, one of our partners wanted to look, explore the AR VR space. So we initially got a few online courses, start talking to people, setting up meetings with people all around the world <clears throat> on understanding the space. And that's what we're working on now. So there's no chance to get complacent at Plain Crazy or at the analytics company either. You know, everyone's always pushing each other to do more. It's a very healthy, competitive environment. And that's something, you know, I think truly gets lost in schools and colleges, even in jobs, you know, very often it's a, your article on um, envy, yeah. you know, you talk about this as well, but you know, that healthy competition where everyone's trying to push each other up. I don't think there's anything as valuable as that. Yeah. It's very easy to get carried away with what you're doing, to get complacent, um, to say, Oh, you know, look where we started and look where we are. It's enough now. Let's take, you know, a f- bit of time off or this is enough. Yeah, that that's never happened. We're always, you know, I'm very grateful for the team for that. It's always what's next. How can we be doing more? Yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, you might be spending 14 hours, 16 hours, work weekends in the office working. You never feel it. You're having fun. And, you know, one thing about um, what we do is that we don't, we don't enter, we're not entering the AR, VR space because we think it's easy to monetize or because there's a lot of opportunity in it. You know, I don't think it's easy to monetize, though there might be a lot of opportunity in it. But it's something we are having a lot of fun doing. Right. And if you're having fun doing it, by all means, go ahead. Let's yeah. let's go for it. And, you know, another thing we do at Playing Crazy um, is that anyone who wants to learn something, whether it's related to the company or not, you can buy an online course and the company will pay for it. That's as long excellent. as you As long as you think it's going to benefit you. Fine, it might be, you know, a course on learning how to play the guitar and it's not going to benefit Playing Crazy directly in any way. But I just think it's important that everyone continues to learn, do things that they're passionate about, but also continue to learn new skills. Because yeah. especially as the world changes, boundaries, you know, change, um, AI sort of comes to the forefront. It's important to, you know, just continuously reskill and upskill yourself. And I'm seeing this more and more, you know, like more and more people are taking opportunities and starting things that, you know, they might not have done 10 years ago. Right you know, changing from what they've studied to do something completely different. And I think right now it may be a choice, but 10 years from today, what you've studied might not be relevant anymore or might not be. Oh, it won't be. Yeah. It won't be. I mean, that's a given. So then, you know, yeah. the question is, how do you stay relevant? Yeah. And, and I, I think, think it's letting curiosity guide. and Exactly. And yeah. that's why, you know, we push people to continuously keep learning more related to the company, not related to the company. We're going to help you however we can yeah. in pursuing that because... You know, that's the only way that you're really going to stay relevant yeah. in the future. I just feel that also um, for somebody working with you or for you, it can be such a big boost to know that uh, like your supervisor or manager or founder or what have you is invested in your learning, not yeah. in just short term X or Y. I think it's a brilliant thing. I hope you're able to continue. No, thank you. And, you know, you know, that is important. You know, I think very often people get lost in, um, and especially in bigger companies, where well, smaller companies, so it's different and easier. But bigger companies, it's you know you get so caught up in your daily routine that you're not able to do anything else. And then it's all about how do you benefit the company, not about how you're benefiting yourself as well. And I don't think those need to be two mutually exclusive things at all. I think you can be benefiting yourself, and you can also be benefiting the company. Absolutely. And you know, everyone who you know, I'm the old. Uh, Sayam and I are both 24, and we're the oldest. At Plain Crazy and the youngest our data scientist is 20. So, you know, we're, we're yeah. a similar age where all, 
you know, it's easy uh, for us to say, oh, you look, Plain Crazy is going to be a huge company. You guys don't need to do anything ever again. But, you know, you're not gonna, it's a bit foolish to think like that, a bit naive. We have to be open to the possibility that this company may never reach the heights that <clears throat> we want it to. And then, you know... Or may surprise you. I'm just saying yeah. that let's not be obsessed of with course. results. Of yeah. course, whatever yeah. may happen will happen. But at the end of the day, you know, the people working with us who've taken a huge chance on working with us, you know, we're not a funded company. So it's not that, you know, oh, we have a lot of perks or a lot of benefits that come with it, you know. And again, kids who, you know, our colleagues who've spent so many other years in design school, getting their marketing degree to work for two lawyers, it's not an easy decision to make. It's, you know, we're truly grateful for all that trust and that belief in us from both our colleagues and our clients. But, you know, um, if they're willing to put so much faith in you, we need to be putting our faith in them as well. Yeah. And, um, of course, we have to be open to the possibility that a lot of people who want to work for us, one of our, our, the third person who joined our team, so we're a team of nine now, but the third person who joined our team is leaving for her master's in September. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she came into the job saying, I want to go for my master's next year. And we said, that's okay. However, we can help you in terms of giving you work or clients that would benefit you, um, you know, let us know because everyone, you know, I'm going to study more. I'm going to HBS and um, Sayam might, may or may not want to study more. Someone else may or may not want to study more. But if I'm, you know, obviously in many ways, I try doing things that will, I think that I'm interested in that might benefit me going into business school. And I think that's the way it should be for everyone. Um, yeah. You know, if you think you might want to do a degree, fine, let's work on it together and let's figure out how to get you there. Or if you think that you want to do a role in animation and we don't do animation right now, let's set up something in animation. Let's see how we can get you learning and get you to what you want to do. And I think that's very important, you know, especially at our age. Yeah, I think that's uh, such a healthy note to end on. Let curiosity drive... Uh, drive the ship hey this was fun michal thank you no, and thank uh, you for having me on and the studio is amazing i want to thank the loophole audio guys i think they're up to something amazing we'll have fun putting this podcast together thanks yeah, no, thank you Atkarsh. thank you to loophole audio and you know is um you know really we should do a follow-up sometime soon sounds yeah? good to me cheers yeah. bye